Warning, you are about to enter a world populated by the most appalling music ever made. Welcome to the search for the worst album of all time. This is Broken Records. But I hadn't been forgotten, I Joe. I've been married a long time ago. Saint Bango. <laughs> a girl with kaleidoscope eyes. <laughs> You're beautiful. Hello there, welcome to episode 79 of Broken Records. My name's Stephen Hill. I've lost my voice a little bit. I've actually lost my voice a little bit this weekend, Renfrey. Renfrey Deadman's here as well. You might be doing more of the talking this weekend. This weekend, this week on the show, Renfrey. Oh, no. Weekend. Ooh, I, I've lost my voice from the weekend. It's, it's not a band I have an awful lot to say about, but um, yeah, Me let's see how we go. Me neither. Me neither. Um... Singing Bon Jovi too loud is uh, if you're asking. I wasn't, but now I'm intrigued. What Bon Jovi? Soon did uh, living on a prayer at karaoke. Oh, that's tough. Not even Bon Jovi can sing that song anymore. I know. I did it, and it was one of those live band bandioki. And the, and the girl who was she went even Bon Jovi doesn't sing it that high. And I was like, <laughs> I don't know. Fucking, I was probably going. It was really, really bad. And I am paying the fucking price for it now because, damn, my throat hurts. So if I do sound a little bit like a weaselly little rat fuck throughout the rest of this podcast, <laughs> ap- apologies for that. I should say, this is what the podcast is. It's Broken Records, where we search for the worst record of all time. You can listen to Renfrey and I speaking on our other platform, Riot Act, which is a sort of sister companion to this podcast, speaking about all kinds of lovely things in the world of alternative music. We have a Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash Riot Act podcast, where you can um, listen to us talk about an album which you suggest if you ter- if you decide to sign up. We do a classic album podcast. We're gearing up to do um, Manchester Orchestra's uh, Black, Black Martyr's Surface. surface. Yeah. Um, very very soon and every week we look at some of the best albums that come out in the world of alternative music just been listening to that new jack white album that's really good i'm saying all of this because i like to say something positive at the start of the podcast i'm not sure there's going to be a lot that is positive about um this week's entry particularly not really i'm, I'm not that excited about this to be honest sometimes i go it's so bad i'm really excited and sometimes i'm like i have a lot to say about this this week we have an album, which we haven't picked. We should say all the albums that we feature on Broken Records are not picked from us personally. They're picked due to the circumstances surrounding the album. It might be a terrible release, terrible reviews, the band reaction, the fan reaction, something, something, something somewhere has gone wrong around this record to lead it to it being here on Broken Records. And this week, we're going to be talking about Seether, Finding Beauty in Negative Spaces, the fourth studio album from the South African post-grunge bend, released on the 23rd of October, 2007, the first of many offensive African accents I intend to do just to make this show something vaguely entertaining. Uh, Before we get into that, though, we should run down the flop 20. The 20 worst albums that we have covered on the show thus far, starting number 20 with The Album by Mr. Blobby, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, the original soundtrack, Eog and Quigg's Owen Quigg, Six Feet Under's Graveyard Classics Volume 2, Testify by Phil Collins, 
Blood, Sweat and Towers by the Towers of London. There's a documentary coming out about the Towers of London, Renfrey. You aware of this? Uh, no, I'm not. I mean, I would be curious to see that. But no, yeah, I didn't know I want to see it. Mm. I really do want to see it because it's like years later they've gone, what was all that about? <laughs> sort of what our episode was. Could have saved time and just put our listen to our episode. Um, but it'd be quite. I'm quite interested to to see a documentary of the members of Towers of London looking back at their former selves and going, eh, "What were we thinking?" Hopefully, yeah. they might go, "God, we were good, weren't we?" In which case, yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, Vanilla Ice is hard to swallow. Little Wayne's the rebirth. Cut the crap by the Clash. Corey Feldman's Angelic to the Core, Philosophy of the World by The Shags, Asshole by Gene Simmons, Total Zanarchy by Little Zan, Bad Blood by Blood on the Dance Floor, Methods of Mayhem by Methods of Mayhem, The True Symphonic Orchestra with the Concerto in True Minor, Double Wide Bunkle Cracker, The Crazy Frog Presents Crazy Hits, I'm Not a Fan But The Kids Like It by Broken Side, and at number one, My Teenage Dream, Dream Ended by Farrah Abraham, also... Guns N' Roses, Chinese Democracy, unranked, floating around the ether. Is it the worst album ever? Is it the best? Nobody knows. No one could ever possibly know. Slightly easier to rank, I think. Finding Beauty in Negative Spaces by Cedar. As I said, released on the 23rd of October 2007. Now, I've got to be honest with you, Renfrey. I think you are probably in a similar boat to me. I know nothing really about Cedar other than a couple of things. I sort of know who they are. I sort of know where they're from, South Africa. And I remember a couple of things about them, and those things mainly being the Amit, when I used to do the old, old, old Metal Hammer podcast, about 10 years ago, Amit, who I used to do the Metal Hammer podcast with. Mm. Someone asked us what our favourite covers of songs were, and he said Seether had done a really good cover of Careless Whisper by George Michael in a kind of post-grunge style. And really? he said it was really good. Yeah. And I remember saying, no, it isn't. I haven't heard it, but no, it isn't. I said, I don't know this band. I haven't heard their version, but you don't do a post-grunge version of Careless Whisper. We'll probably get onto that later on in the show. But that was my first time. I was like, oh, they're the band who did Careless Whisper. Yeah, well, I'm assuming you've heard it now. I've heard it now. <laughs> yeah. And, um, yes, I think my instincts were correct. Mm. Yes. I would love to hear the argument for this being a good cover. <laughs> but, yeah, let's get on to that later. <laughs> yeah. Um, I also remember I was DJing on the radio, on the Sonosphere radio channel, late one night in 2014, at Sonosphere 2014, uh, where you could kind of send in requests. And we had the, the, the sort of the bunker with all the radio gear in there. And people were stood outside and we were playing ourselves out, out over the PA outside into the festival and there were a bunch of people stood outside and some of them would like wave and be like oh can you play this and one guy was like you have to play Seether you have to play them <laughs> he was obsessed with them he was absolutely obsessed he was adamant that I played Seether and I was like there's a dude outside telling me to play Seether and I'm like I don't know anything about this band but he's asked for this particular song and we do have it so I'm going to play it and I played it and he went see they're amazing weren't they? what did you think and I said it was fine. <laughs> that sounds like a fair thing to say. I kind mm. of feel like Seether's artwork is kind of bigger than them. This is an album cover. This one and the previous album as well, Karma and Effect, are both album covers that I've seen around so much. Um and they both, I mean, particularly the previous record, kind of suggests a slightly heavier band than we actually get. 
Um, but these these two covers, I don't know if you feel the same way as well, but these two covers seem fairly omnipresent in the rock scene in the last sort of 15 years or so. I mean, they're, you know, they're pretty cool covers, I think. Um, a Disclaimer 2, which is their second album, and Karma and Effect, I definitely remember. I don't particularly remember the artwork for this one particularly. Oh, interesting. But okay. apparently it's got Candice the Ghost who mm. was designed by David Ho, who yes. is an artist yes. who uh, I don't know. I, I know of David Ho. I don't recall any of his other work, but I no. know of him. So to surmise our prior knowledge to see the going into this podcast, it is that we'd seen some of their album covers. We knew they covered George Michael. And one of us had met a man who liked them. That's basically it, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, you know, we're not saying we're experts on this band. I just want to, like, flag that up straight away. We're not saying that we're experts on this band, but I have done a little bit of research about them. So let's go into who they are properly, for those of you who are in a similar situation to me and Renfrey. Apparently they formed in 1999 as Sarin Gas. Sarin, Sarin Gas. Gas. Sarin Gas, a name that they held for the first three years as a band. They released an album called Fragile under the name Sarin Gas in 2000. They changed it, which is a good idea. But they changed it to Seether, which is not such a good idea. Both of those it's names, if I, were to, if I were to pick one, I would pick Seether. Yeah. But I don't think Seether is a very good name. It's not great. It's better like, than Sarin Gas, though, isn't it? So much better than Sarin Gas. This is like the Rocket Baby Dolls Muse thing. It's mm. like, yeah, Muse is a shit name, but if you hear the other ones that they had, then Muse is objectively the best one they came up with. It's <laughs> weird when bands do that, isn't it? Because for me, I think you'd, you'd start with something like Seether, and you'd go, Seether? And you go, yeah, maybe oh, we can come up with something better than that, can't we? But when you've gone, when you've started by going... Right, we've decided on Sarin Gas. And for three years you've gone, yeah, we're Sarin Gas. And then you're going, I don't know. I really feel like maybe we could have changed it to something better. And then someone's gone, what about Seether? <laughs> to me, that would go, no, no, we're in the process of making this much better. Let's continue before. But it's almost like they went Sarin Gas or Seether. Seether's better than Sarin Gas, isn't it? Yes. Okay, you're right. We've 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 hit the mountaintop now the the glass ceiling has been smashed against ridiculous it sounds to me like sarin gas was maybe some sort of private joke and that's why it was that for a while and then you know i mean Stegel, my old band were originally who were better than the new red Hot chili peppers album by the way <laughs> um and and by the way um uh we were originally called cunt Cholton. Just because our mate Jason oh, yeah. Cholton used to say cunt all the time. Yeah. And we thought that was a good reason to go. And then we went, he can't call it this. And then we kind of, so we started very low and only progressed up a couple of notches to Stegall, which isn't a great name. I mean, the Red Hot Chili Peppers is a better name than Stegall. It's just that our music is much better than the Red Hot Chili Peppers music. Mm-hmm. I actually anyway. think as band names go, I actually think Red Hot Chili Peppers is a really good one. Mm. And back when they were good, oh, what a time. Oh, but they're not good anymore. And if you like them, you're a fucking piece of shit. <laughs> so anyway, uh, <laughs> I, just, I just know this is going up on our YouTube channel. So I'm making a point to, to hammer that home. Um, in 2002, see the release their first album, 
under the name Seether called Disclaimer which saw the band featured on the soundtrack to the Madden NFL 2003 game and they toured here we go Renfrey this is where it all starts to get interesting toured with Evanescence eh? Tour with Evanescence, and during the tour, the band reworked their song Broken to feature the vocal stylings of Evanescence front lady Amy Lee. And it became something of a breakout song for Seether around that time. Um, it was featured on the Punisher soundtrack, the Punisher 2004 movie. Yep. And it's around this time that frontman Sean Morgan and Evanescence's Amy Lee began a relationship oh like i was unaware of, of all of this kind of a kind of rock power couple if you like yeah there's significantly more power in one <laughs> member of that couple than the other yes sure. uh, yeah. as as brilliantly brilliantly um <laughs> shown by i looked for some stuff and uh they were interviewed together quite a lot they actually did they did the song on like American Idol or some sort of American pop idol thing. And the two of them were interviewed very, very quickly together. Um, so, you know, see they're getting a bit of a leg up from their association with Amy Lee and Evanescence. And they were interviewed together on the phone um, by Simon Amstel on the quite amazing pop world back in 2004. Oh, wicked. Now... I guess we have to explain... This is one of the beautiful things we have to do on this show sometimes, Renfrey. We now have to explain Pop World to the people listening who maybe are too young or unfamiliar with it or from a different part of uh, the world that didn't watch Pop World, particularly the Simon Amstel, Makita Oliver years. Pop World was the greatest music television programme... I'm going to stop short of saying ever... But it was fucking brilliant, it's wasn't it? It's up there. It's up there. It's yeah. right up there. And for people who think that, like, we're we're horrible about music, <laughs> this was a T4, Channel 4, like, sort of early morning kids' TV slot show where Simon Amstel and Makita Oliver, but usually Simon Amstel, um, would kind of... They had a brilliant way of really kind of poking fun and mugging off guests and doing weird shit with guests. He made Britney Spears cry, didn't he, Simon Amstel? He actually made Britney Spears cry. Uh, he really upset the guy from the Kooks when he kept asking him about his then girlfriend, um, Katie Melia, and how many bicycles in Japan, in, in China she had, or whatever it was. <laughs> and they always found a way to kind of really ham up and take the piss out of whoever it was they're interviewing yeah. and the ones who got it you Brilliant. usually went oh they're all right actually they're all right but the ones who got shitty about it usually let's be honest the american ones who were like why aren't you just being nice to me like ryan seacrest would be <laughs> uh, <laughs> they were the they were the ones who used to that you loved because you'd be like brilliant they don't get they haven't got a fucking clue what's going on here at all yeah, it made for some quite amazing television. I'm sure that there are Pop World YouTube highlight reels. I mean, I know there are because there I've are, yeah. watched <laughs> many too, of yeah. them. And they are fantastic. <laughs> if you have a spare half an hour, it is well worth 
looking at the map. And Simon Amstel is a fucking genius. He's a comedian. Mm-hmm. Um, was he a stand-up at that point? I'm not even sure. Yeah, yeah. If, yeah okay. So he was a stand-up was, yeah. at that point His as well. stand-up is really great and really different to what he does on Pop World and what he went Never on to do on Nevermind yeah. the Buzzcocks. Because, again, fucking amazing on Nevermind the Buzzcocks. Taking that thing yeah. to... <laughs> insane new levels yeah. but he really did some brilliant and weird shit on pop world but simon amstel and makita oliver had this really brilliant sort of understated way about them that they'd say <laughs> like you were great but without actually that they would kind of undercut i don't know it was just it was a lot cleverer than your usual saturday morning channel four nonsense more often they'd undercut their guests just by asking them absolutely insane questions like yeah i mean it usually just came from the brilliant mind of simon amstel you're absolutely right his i mean i've seen three of his stand-up shows and um his stand-up is very very different it's far more kind of uh inward looking and he adopts a more kind of almost worried Mm. sort of persona Mm. Um, and he's not like that on Pop World or Never Mind the Buzzcocks, but yeah, I. I it's much more Amstel. sort of reminiscent of Woody Allen. Yeah, um, yeah, it is comedically speaking. Live, not yeah, anything else? <laughs> not everything else. Uh, no, um, <clears throat> yeah, but it's really good. Yeah. It's really, really good. Yeah. So they're on T4 Pop World. Uh, both of them on the phone, and Simon Amstel calls them up, and his opening question <laughs> to Sean Morgan is: So, Sean. Who are you? <laughs> and he says, oh, I'm in the band Seether. And Simon goes, Seether? And he goes, yeah, yeah, Seether. Seether. And he makes them say it about four times. He goes, Seether. As if it's in a manner which sort of suggests that he can't believe his band are called Seether. And then he asks if he said, so this relationship thing that you've got going on, is it real or is it just to sell records? And Amy <laughs> Lee laughs and goes, ah, I knew it. And Sean answers quite seriously. He's like, well, it's up to make other people to make their minds up. But Amy and I are quite happy together. And Simon says, well, if this doesn't go very well, you could lose the guy, right, Amy? And Amy Lee basically goes, oh, yeah, you know, if it's only about the money, then I'll just, I'll just get rid of him. And <laughs> Sean Morgan is sitting there going, <sighs> and, he, and then um he goes to say something and simon answer goes hold on hold on sorry hold on i've got somebody on hold at the moment i've got emma bunton on the other line and it cuts to emma bunton <laughs> and sean says oh my god and amy lee goes who and sean says she's that crappy spice girl chick how fucking dare you? Oh. How dare you? You are not. No wonder see they never broke the UK. You can't fucking shit on Emma Bunton over no. here, can you? No. Baby what's, Spice. There's, what's wrong with Baby Spice? Who mm. doesn't like Baby Spice? Mate, you sat next to someone from Evanescence. Slagging off the Spice Girls. Yeah, quite. Pathetic. So anyway, um, Emma Bunton says that her mother has gone missing. And asks Simon Amstel if he's seen her. And Simon Amstel says he hasn't. It's sort of quite funny. And he goes back to see her and asks him what the song is about. And Sean says that Amy, Amy is singing about her genitalia. And Simon Amstel says, sounds lovely. Before he gets another call from Peter Andre. And he just goes, oh, no, and hangs up. And goes, are you, st- you two still there? And Amy Lee asks why they keep getting put on hold. And Simon Amstel says, I've got another call. And it's this time it's from Christopher Biggins and he says, Biggins, talk to me. And Simon and Christopher Biggins says, Can you tell that Peter Andre to stop calling me? And then goes, Mrs. Bunton, Mrs. Bunton. <laughs> <laughs> and Simon goes, Look, guys, I'm really busy. I'll speak to you later. And Sean says, um, 
Uh, and he says, oh, can I speak to you later? And Sean Morgan goes, no. And um, and then says, but it was a real pleasure speaking to you, buddy. And Simon Arsenal just goes, yeah, yeah, whatever, mate. And just sort of <laughs> hangs up on him. And then Peter on Jay calls again. And when Simon asks what he wants, he says, oh, Simon, I, I think I've got Emma Bunton's mother trapped in my cupboard. <laughs> and I thought, this, I'll tell you what, I enjoyed this, but it doesn't make me want to listen to Seether. <laughs> does not make me want to listen to see them at all and i imagine from the sort of general demeanor of uh of sean morgan that he probably wouldn't have been that chuffed with the way that that interview came out mm. amy lee looked at it like not my band i'm already famous don't give a shit <laughs> <laughs> he does seem to uh I mean, it doesn't surprise me at all that he is one of these very po-faced, serious <laughs> artists based on the music that I heard on this record. That is not a surprise to me in the slightest. A Aaron Lewis type, maybe. Mm. I've never mm. even seen a picture of Seether, but I'm just kind of imagining in my mind the sort of thing that could be maybe even a Wes uh West from Puddle of Mud. Yeah. Uh I was about to say West Borland, West, but obviously that's West Scantlin. West Scantlin, thank you. Like yeah, uh, that that type. That's kind of the type that I'm imagining. I don't know how accurate that is. Yeah, he's got um a goatee and he's got long sort of dyed black hair and he's wearing a shirt. Ah, just, a bit more a bit more new metal then maybe bit more new metal which and that would also make sense <laughs> that would also make sense um so anyway 2005's karma effect was released in 2005 obviously and reached number eight on the u.s billboard top 200 which is i have to say pretty impressive for a band outside of the u.s territory yeah um although essentially one playing a fairly watered down version of popular american music so from 10 well, years ago kind of, from 10 years ago <laughs> just to sort of weigh that up again but this is when shit starts to really hit the fan, I think, for Seether. And we start to see, maybe not to understand why this album is in here particularly, but maybe why, I don't know, things went... It didn't go the way that maybe they would have thought they would do. So, <clears throat> um, Lee and Morgan split in 2005 after his substance abuse apparently started to neg negatively affect them. Uh, it got to the point where Evanescence released a song, which is a very, very big song in Evanescence's back catalogue, Call Me When You're Sober, as the first single from their 2006 album, The Open Door, which apparently is written about Amy Lee's relationship with Sean Morgan. Now, I wasn't familiar with this song because I'm not going to listen to Evanescence, am I? <laughs> um, it's the second I... record, is it not? The Open yeah. Door? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is, yeah. Oh, look at you, super fan over there. I I mean, I, I know very little about Evanescence. I just wanted to show off that I knew that. I know, I know yeah. that they take a long time between albums, and mm. I think... Um... Bless them for that, yeah. <laughs> I think Fallen was 2003. So when you said 2006, I was like, that's probably second album. But yeah. Yeah. That's what it was. So um, I made a point of going and listening to the album for this review. It's about their fourth or fifth biggest streamed, like highest stream song on Spotify. It's obviously quite a big song for them. Okay. Um, it is, to be perfectly honest, better than pretty much anything that we're going to be talking about on this Seether album. That doesn't um, surprise me. Yeah, that's also not an especially high bar no. to be jumping over either. Um, 
but in terms of the lyrics, which are the the main thing, it's not exactly cutting lyrically, to be honest. I mean, it is your absolute standard, you don't love me, you blew it, I'm moving on type stuff. It's not very specific regarding the minutiae of things that happened. It's an all right song, but it did make me go, I'm glad I don't have to listen to any Evanescence for a little while. (laughs) Yeah, Amy Lee's never really struck me as a writer who gets down into the details of those things. It's far more of a broader kind of thing. Um, I don't think it's an accurate representation if you look at Evanescence's career as a whole, but when they initially came out and obviously they had Bring Me Back to Life, I mean, Bring Me Back to Life, Bring Me to Life, whatever the, bring the, me the, to life. the, the big song is. Um, you know, the Linkin Park comparisons were, I mean, it was too hard to, it was impossible to avoid them. And I don't think they sound like Linkin Park for their whole career, but certainly there is a kind of Chester Bennington approach to the lyrics and that is just like, I'm feeling general pain. I'm generally yeah. anguished. Oh, kind of thing. This breakup that we've all basically been through in one way or another is broadly upsetting to some. So, you know, um, yeah, I mean, like I would have looked at it and gone, well, fuck it. You know, it could be about anything, really. Um, And Leah herself was initially um, sort of refused to be drawn on who the song was about saying the song is very personal. It was very brave for me, the lyric writing. <laughs> yeah, really brave. Um, oh, I'm all right now. Oh, you're so brave. Um, because I was just sick of hiding behind metaphors in all that I'd been writing. So much of the record was about the turmoil I was going through with choosing between happiness and comfort. In the end, I had to choose happiness and health for myself. I made the right decision. So she said that before basically coming clean a little while later and saying, I think it's impossible to hide how obvious it is. The day that our single hit the airways, my ex-boyfriend said he was going into rehab and cancelled their tour. I haven't ever said right out who it was, but it's about the big relationship I was in and the whole breakup, which was really long. The breaking up and the hard stuff in our relationship happened sort of after I was out of the spotlight for a while and writing. It wasn't in any way public. I was trying to be kind of discreet about it. And then he totally came out and said he was going to rehab. It was shocking for me. It kind of it kind of made for a more interesting story. Now she's correct. Uh, Sean Morgan did indeed check into rehab in 2006, cancelling a tour with Stained and Three Days Grace in the process. Which fuck me, I'm not hanging around with those cunts. I think I might take up smack just so I can check into rehab <laughs> rather than go on tour with Stained. But <clears throat> it's an interesting thing that she waited a year before kind of. Um, admitting that this song was about him and almost using his stint in rehab as something to um to reignite or to re-prop up the uh the song that until this point she had been rather vague about that to me doesn't seem like a particularly nice thing to do i have to say renfrey personally speaking i think that the idea of her writing a song because some people have looked at various reactions to all of this on um message boards from the time and stuff and and some people said oh she should never have written that song that should have been kept personal i don't think that i think people should write songs about whatever they want to write about and if they yeah. want to write a personal lament about their previous relationship then that is up to them but i do think taking a year to go oh yeah that guy's just going to read yeah, it's about him um that's not a very cool thing to do i don't think particularly no i mean you're you're assuming a sort of level of cynicism there i suppose um yes. but 
what, we're talking about Evanescence? <clears throat> yeah, <clears throat> absolutely I am, yeah. Um, you know, which for the basis of balance, I would say, might not have been there. Blah, 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 blah. blah. But yes, I understand right. what you're saying. I was using the fact that it's Evanescence as a piece of um, evidence to back up my claim that this is cynical. Evidence, if you if you will. <laughs> <Fucking hell. laughs> yeah, yeah. Why did I um, do that? Okay, I don't know. No. I don't even know what you mean. Really, carry on. Good. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, fine. It's that's the thing. She said it, and she's obviously allowed to admit to what she wrote a song about and that's fine but i was a little bit like oh bloody hell you've waited a year and then waited till he goes to rehab and gone see told you didn't i told you he was a fuck up like god bloody yeah hell. yeah it's, but we um, don't know the ins and outs of the relationship and i think as it goes on we still kind of won't anyway um sean morgan said i'm deeply sorry this news comes right before a planned tour especially one that i was so excited about and i hope everyone understands i need help with the addictions that i can't kick on my own these things are making me sick and could potentially harm me permanently so i need to take care of them as soon as possible i hope the tour goes well and we hope to be on the road again soon thank you for your understanding and support now that i think again you know dude checks into rehab he's admitting that he has problems I'm not going to sit here and call him a fucking weakling or a junkie or anything good like that. Him. That That's is, great. you know, good for him. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad that he went and did that. Uh, this also came two months after the departures of... Departures? What's that? <laughs> departures. Departure it's of the, their guitarist. Um, it's the straight-to-DVD version of The Departed by Martin Scorsese. Yeah. It is, yeah. Which is obviously a remake. Of, oh, God, it doesn't matter. Um, uh, uh, guitarist Pat Callahan, who had sort of, I guess you'd see, yeah, since the name change, had been a sort of full-time member of Seether. He joined in 2002, although he was only actually announced as a full-time member uh, in 2004, two years prior to that. The band um, announced on their MySpace page, they said, Seether has decided not to replace Callahan at this time with another guitarist and will instead take it back to where it began and keep it running as a three-piece unit. If you've been to the shows over the past few weeks, you will have noticed the change. We all think it's a positive one. We hope that fans will understand and respect this issue without distorting it, distorting it into a convoluted and nasty misunderstanding as it wasn't. Seether wishes Pat all the best in his future endeavours. Although... A bit like everything else that we've already spoken about with the Amy Lee thing as well. Um, there was a bit of a 180 with this because it was suggested that the split from uh, Callahan wasn't a musical one, but was in fact a uh, a personality clash between Morgan and uh, and Callahan. Um, with Morgan later saying that he was um relieved a little actually a lot he was the guy in the band that was always our naysayer and he was causing negative energy as far as writing i personally have no loss uh lost love uh, which is weird for some reason because he was my friend for years but when he walked out it kind of walked out with him so sort of a traumatic little period of time for the band rehab somebody leaving you're kind of being splashed all over the tabloids for things that really aren't anything to do with your music mm. not great right mm. not a great prep for this kind of comeback album um after you know your your big you kind of follow up to a, a very successful record mm. it's not ideal really is it no not at all not at all it sounds like a very trying time for many members of the see the camp yes yeah um 
I'm not sure the band, I mean, I always worry a bit when bands say shit like this. Apparently, they'd, uh, Morgan said the bands had 15 songs ready to go when they went to the studio and they intended to self-produce the new album. Ah. Ah, which they didn't. Howard Benson produced this album, but uh, Sean Morgan said, you'd pay producers a lot of money for guidance and that's all. It just seems the fee doesn't justify the involvement. So the last album, we pretty much produced ourselves. Producer Bob Marlett, who's worked with Shinedown and Saliva, will say the same thing. We just figured we would steer the ship ourselves this time. But when Morgan came out of rehab a year later, um, I was going out of rehab, they completed the album around a year later with Howard Benson ending up being the producer on this particular album. Um, and as the band were getting ready to do press for the record, the chat was obviously focused a lot about on what he might be saying as a sort of riposte to Amy Lee and her song. And, well, he uh, he probably took that song about as well as could be expected, <laughs> to be honest, Renfrey. Uh He said the song had followed me around and haunted me and chipped away at my reputation. People would say to me, yeah, man, I know what you're going through. And I was like, no, I don't think you do. Your ex-girlfriend didn't write a song about you that millions of people have heard saying you're a bad guy. As soon as that happens, buddy, come up to me and tell me what I'm going through. I was bummed out. I was really upset that she would say and do those things in any relationship. I don't think it's right to say and do those things when people break up. And she obviously felt the need to go out there and make me sound like a complete arsehole. What can I do? I just refuse to lower myself to that level. But it was a really painful thing and it has gotten me down. People coming up to me on the street referring to that song. But it, but I didn't feel the need to write back and be mean. <clears throat> so the album, this album that we're about to talk about. It doesn't have any kind of big, oh, he's clapped back at Amy Lee or anything like that. Um, Which is not specifically, but I mean, there are songs that you could attribute to that if you wanted to. I mean, the first track, Like Suicide, sounds like it is about a sort of a breakup of a relationship or or sounds, you know, there's a woman who is like suicide. That's basically the hook. He also there's a, there's a song breakdown on it which um, he said is more of rather than it being about Amy Lee he said is a lament to the loss of a relationship or you know so there's definitely parallels to be drawn I mean I think to say that none of these songs are I suppose you can say none of these songs are directly about it but um, you know I. Well, if that's what he's saying, then that's what he's saying. Well, he's entitled to say what he wants to say, but I think he's telling porkies. <laughs> I think there is. But I again, think there it's all so some... fucking vague that you just go, "Well, it might be," but I mean, yeah, exactly. It's but not telling that, you anything, is it? That's the it's thing. Not telling you anything about you know when you listen to Caligula by Lingering Note, you go, "Fucking hell!" I have a really terrifying insight into the mental physical emotional trauma that has plagued you for a really long time here i just go what's this song about i don't know what what could be about who fucking cares it's it's exactly exactly i'm just looking at the lyrics for (laughs) um like a suicide and it's basically like uh no like suicide sorry She's coming over like a suicide and it's the same old trip, the same old trip as before. Another complicating suicide. Complicated, surely. And it's the same old trip, the same old trip as before. You set me up to fucking fail this time, blah, blah. I mean, it's all just... it's. I mean, 
that could be anything. That's the thing. That could be, that could be, that could be the breakup of a relationship. It could be my mum told me to clean my room for the tenth time today, and I'm pissed off with her about it. Yeah, I mean there is an unfortunate. I mean, with that album being the first track on their album, there is an unfortunate parallel, which I think of all the things that we've spoken about being unfortunate and annoying and not ideal preparation. The album was slated for release in August of 2007, but was pushed back to October 2007 after Morgan's brother Eugene did commit suicide the week uh-huh. before the record was due to be released i did just read that it that the record is dedicated to morgan's mm-hmm. brother who committed suicide. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah um so yeah it was released in sort of tribute to his memory and having that as the opening song i mean obviously nothing on here kind of like skeleton tree i guess i mean we've already compared this to Caligula and Skeleton Tree. Let's and not compare this to Skeleton Tree. <laughs> no, sake. no, 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 no. But I'm saying that everything was written. But in, in this case, yeah. it was about to come out. So there's nothing on here. That's that... the thing. Even you know, even with the title, which is sort of spookily associated, that song was written before his brother mm. commits suicide. So you can't yeah. say that it's actually about that. I mean, I suppose you could attach that to it afterwards but you know it wasn't about that when he wrote it so no of course no definitely not definitely not now that is a pretty massive load of heavy shit to be dealing with in the mm. build-up to an album coming out and now yeah. that, that we've kind of tippy-toed around it and spoiler look i don't care too much for this record and i can see why the negative reviews were pretty negative and you do have a duty as a reviewer when you review things to be honest about what you hear and only what you hear on the album. So I don't think anyone necessarily should have been giving Sean Morgan an easy ride due to um, the circumstances Circumstances surrounding the album at all. Uh, But the reviews, alongside all of everything else that's been going on, you would be like, fucking hell, man. Like, God, it's a... How depressing. But then I think... Or you might just think, oh, well, reviews, who gives a shit? Like, I've been through some far worse stuff than this over the last couple of years, and... It, it might have just meant absolutely nothing at all. I don't know. But i got to be honest, I do start to feel a bit sorry for Sean Morgan around this point because mm-hmm. he's not having a very good time at all. That it? you got no... Can you hear me? Yeah, I can. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> all right. <you're> just like... <laughs> sorry. You know, I... I do not... I feel so absolutely... I don't, I don't feel sorry for him so much that I am just going to completely... I'd not even acknowledge sorry you uh, saying you feel sorry for it, it him didn't at feel, all. It, I, 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 I didn't feel the natural point to come in but i obviously missed out my apologies um yeah i mean i i agree 100 percent. I, I i there's no disagreement coming from me so hence me okay, not good. saying anything right fine um, i probably should have done yes steve <laughs> yeah but do you know what i mean like i kind of ah, on a human level i'm like oh man that sounds like a bad time and then you get these reviews and you must be like for fuck's sake yeah i mean that would have that would have killed a lot of bands loads of bands yeah. and it didn't mm. kill either they've released many records since so yeah uh you know it's got a metacritic score of 39 out of 100 which is probably why it's here because that is quite low right that was uh, my Q guess gave, as to why it's here yeah. yeah q gave it one star saying anyone believing that bush betrayed grunge's punk promise will feel like reaching for a shotgun uh quite an unfortunate um 
Yeah. But yeah. Rolling Stone gave it one and a half stars, saying, worst y- lyric of the year alert. Oh, I'll say that again. Worst lyric of the year alert. <laughs> <laughs> Your verbal defecation I can't wash away despite myself. So th- see the frontman Sean Morgan informs us in his Nickelbackian growl during No Jesus Christ, a seven-minute-long compilation of post-grunge cliches. The lip-ringed Morgan, best known as the subject of Evanescence's Call Me When You're Sober, as penned by former girlfriend Amy Lee, and his band do know how to write some catchy heavy guitar riffs. What's more, the rhythm section, while overactive, is way tighter than your average indie wusses. Check out the surprising swing of the single Fake It. But on this South African band's third album, the guitar tones a teeth grinding digitized sounding nightmare and a series of i'm singing through a cell phone vocal filters can't disguise how played out morgan style is the dreadful active radio rock format that this album targets could use could use a great band or at least a mildly originally one original one see that alas is neither uh all music gave it two and a half stars saying Seether's lead singer-songwriter Sean Morgan is an unabashed, unapologetic worshipper of Kurt Cobain, using Nirvana's sound as a template for Seether and more importantly, interpreting Kurt's teenage angst as something entirely unironic and confessional. It is pretty skewed reading in Nirvana, but not an uncommon one. And there have been scores of bands that have devoted their careers to ironing out every quirk in Cobain's legacy, with Seether being just one of the more prominent ones of this legion in the new millennium. In Morgan's interpretation of Nirvana, music is just a vehicle for emotional catharsis. Uh, There are a few other reviews. None of them were particularly interesting. It got an all right review from, um, uh, from, from Billboard magazine, but nothing sort of particularly that interesting to be honest really um it peaked at number nine on the u.s billboard 200 went on to be certified platinum in the u.s with sales of over one million copies which is pretty decent it was rather impressively i thought the 86th best-selling album of 2008 in the united states of america which is not bad that's not bad not bad at all i mean obviously we have to consider that um, uh, album sales are on the decline, but still very, yeah. very impressive. Yeah, mm, yeah, that's pretty good. But anyway, Renfrey. After saying all that, what do you think about finding beauty in negative spaces by Caesar? <laughs> um, I think it sounds like a fairly bog standard new grunge record, which isn't exactly mm. what I was expecting. I think due to the artwork that I'd seen for Karma and Effect, the previous Seether album, which, that does look like a metal cover, doesn't it? You know the one yeah. I mean? Like, I absolutely oh, yeah. look, and you know, I'm not I'm not saying oh, if you're not a metal band, you shouldn't have that cover or anything like <coughs> that, but, but it made me assume that they were maybe a little bit more metallic than they actually are. There isn't very much metal in it. Um, Sean uh, what's his surname, sorry? Morgan. Morgan. Sean Morgan does adopt a few Hetfieldisms. They're all very poorly done compared to Hetfield anyway. Mm. Um, but it's still a kind of, yeah, that kind of new, you know, it, they sound like a second wave or maybe even third wave grunge band, really. Um, and when I first put the album on, I, did, I didn't do any research at all. I just put the record on. And I was like, when was this release? I'm guessing around like 1999, something like that. So when mm. I thought saw it was 2007, I was like, oh, wow. This does really feel behind the times. 
and not in a good retro way like say synthwave is at the moment or something like that it feels like you know people talk about at least a 20 year cycle you're kind of doing this 10 years after the fact which isn't long enough for it to have kind of become cool again um and there's so many things that i'm you know the 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 fact that they cover an 80s pop song it's just so new metal that's such a new metal move and what they do to it is very much what one of those new metal bands would have done to it so spoiler alert it's not very good um I, i i i this is not the worst of these sorts of albums that I've heard by a long way. It's not even the worst no. on our list. I've already, uh, in a previous uh, phone call, I pointed out to you that I don't... The Probably the album this is closest to in the list is Theory of a Dead Man. And I don't think this is probably anywhere no. near as bad as Theory of a no. Dead Man, to be honest with that. you. Um, at least they have a bit of ambition uh no jesus christ is trying so hard to be undertow here at all isn't it so hard but that is such a lovely bass sound that i get a bit like oh god it is crap but you know it's obvious and it is like oh you're not tall stop trying to be tall you can't do it but you don't like that bass sound i do like that bass sound it's a very it's a very pleasant sound and like this is a really well-produced record howard benson is not uh he seems to he works on lots of stuff that is not for me really Mm. at all skindred hate him or benji's from skindred hates him okay is that something you're allowed to go into or i don't think he'll care i mean they haven't uh, a, I don't think Howard Benson or Benji from Skindred will probably ever listen to this, but yeah, he's like he works. He works what like Benji from Skindred was like. He can do that one thing. That's all he can do. Uh, well, looking at his CV, there's certainly there is a theme, definitely. Mm. Um, but I wouldn't I wouldn't call him a bad producer at all. He gets good sounds out of these bands. You know, there's nothing wrong with the production on this record at all. Um, so it does sound nice, but. Yeah, no, no, Jesus Christ sort of meanders for about seven and a half minutes or something like that. And like, I admire them for trying something like that. It is not, um, <laughs> I still, I don't think it's entirely, it's a very basic bitch take on tool, basically. It's like, I really, extremely basic bitch. You know, mm. it works. I'm not I saying mean, the look, song doesn't work. It's just a bit meh. It, the first song, like Suicide, you know, a man going some quiet bits and getting loud you know it's exactly what you'd imagine one of these post grunge bands to be and this radio rock it's us radio rock thing and you say it sounds dated and it sounds from behind the times well all of these bands were kind of they're a bunch this is really when this particular thing starts to become unbelievably popular i mean this is that they all fucking sound like this now in in some ways this is actually slightly ahead of its time because they all fucking sound like this now. There are tons of bands who try and sound like this. There are metalcore bands who go, oh shit, we need to get on radio. We have to make one of those like sort of grungy ballads. Is that not the 20 year cycle that I was talking about though? They were kind of like, they were either 10 years too late or 10 years too early. Basically. Yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you think, you know, there was these guys and three, three Doors Down and... Oh, God, I hate uh, that, fuck, And yeah, and Stained around Puddle and Mud and all that. But yeah, I guess this was... They were, they were one of the few bands who seemed like... Seether, I guess, were one of the few bands who seemed like they were 
them and Nickelback were sort of flourishing in a time where this didn't really yeah. flourish. It's Alter Bridge coming around this time. Alter Bridge is slightly different because actually Alter Bridge good, are better than, are better than <laughs> so those, much yeah. better. Than um, but you know, it was just what I expected. Really, kind of clean production, quite depressing lyrics, fairly bland composition, no real surprises, quite overwrought, a bit sort of overblown hard rock. You've heard it all a million times before. You sort of know what's going to happen. Kind of chunky and a bit obvious. Some of the vocals. I mean, like fake. The second song has that is more that kind of southern rock thing, all kind of these kind of jaunty, chunky power chords and tobacco chewing vocals. Something about being a faker. One of the lyrics is, "I feel so raped, and I can fake it with the best of anyone." And I'm just like, "Oh, I don't need you singing shit like like it's no. all, it's really like really over the top." I got I got huge Nickelback vibes from that song, "Fake It." Yeah. Um, like uh, like rock called... star Nickelback, fake. Not not yeah. even how you remind me. Not even no. the vaguely good Nickelback stuff, like the really shit stuff. There's um, a song called F M L Y H M, and it's got the line "Fuck me like you hate me." On That's it. what it stands so... like stands for. Yes. Yeah. Um, which is an awful, awful line. Awful. I don't um, know how to roll my eyes in an auditory format, but imagine me rolling my eyes. Yeah. Uh there's a song called Fallen, which is again really bog standard, but it's talking about makeovers and how the new generation thinks you need to look perfect and plastic and it's so fake and how he believes in the fallen and he believes in the calling. And it's another song about plastic surgery. A bit like the Gene Simmons one. The Gene Simmons album had a song about like, oh you're so fake and it sort of begs the question, has anyone ever released a song about plastic surgery which isn't fucking rubbish? <laughs> anyone. Does fake plastic trees count? It doesn't really. That's just about mm-hmm. fake things. Don't know. Mm. Don't think they have. There's a question for the audience. That's a good question. Let's um, yeah, put it to the audience. I think... This is not a great record. There's a song called Six Gun Quota, which is pretty catchy, and the horns on it give it a bit more of a sort of pop rock tone rather than sort of post-grunge tone, which is a bit more suitable for them, and it sounds a little bit like Silverchair, so I didn't mind that. Yes, I got that as well, actually. Yeah. 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 And it all gets a bit dull again after that, a little bit forgettable. Forgettable, but fine. I mean, there's nothing Mm. on here... Apart from a few eye-rolling, fuck me like you hate me, and a bit like, oh, you like plastic surgery, I'm real and you're fake. Other than that, and all the fucking cliches that come with that, there's nothing on here which is... I mean, you mentioned Aaron Lewis from Stained. You mentioned Theory of a Dead Man. There is nothing on this record which is kind of morally reprehensible in the same way as the shit, like... Here's the difference, right? Is The shit is he's gone, look... There's no songs on here about Amy Lee. There are no songs on here about about Amy Lee. And if there are, and those first couple of songs that we're talking about are about Amy Lee, they're pretty typical breakup songs with him being the, you know, the victim in it, which it's written from his perspective. He's probably going to do that. Of course. But it's nothing really, really awful. It's a proper, like, I will move on from this, from being wronged, Right. And he's saying it's not even about her. It's not the same as Theory of a Dead Man where he was like, you took my money, you fucking bitch. I'll no. fuck you. And it's certainly not the same as some of the shit on, I don't know, Uncle Cracker or Methods of Mayhem, which is women are to be used and screwed up and thrown away like objects. Um, there's nothing like that on here. 
I think the worst it gets is fuck me like you hate me. And even that mm. is sort of presented in a kind of, you know, some, <laughs> there's plenty of couples who role play that sort of stuff all the time. And it's, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I, I don't, I don't think it's meant in a kind of like nasty way. I think it's just more no. of a kind of BDSM type thing. Yeah. So, you know, this is dull for the most mm-hmm. part it's a little bit forgettable it's forgettable but fine for this type of music which i have no interest in at all i find all of it to be incredibly derivative yep. it's all really derivative it's all um a xerox of a xerox of a xerox of something which is comfortably you know the the, the comparisons with at this point the comparisons with stuff like soundgarden and tool and nirvana just seem hilarious because it's so 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 far away from that despite no matter how much it believes it isn't and no matter how much it tries to be part of that lineage yeah it just can't be because it's it's doesn't it's just not all of those bands are clearly in the dna of seether but they are so watered down as to be you know i'm not going to say non-existent i mean no jesus christ instantly i just went i that's tall i, I, I even mm. undertow era tool um i don't think seether would be capable of doing enema or lateralis era tool to be honest but you know um so it is there uh but it's, yes, it's like agree. saying it's like saying steps and craft work are the same genre. <laughs> like yeah i guess they both make pop music yeah you could say that yeah yeah um there was a song called walk away from the sun on this record which is absolutely dreadful and it sounds like alice in chains have bought an a drum machine from argos it's just rubbish you know um but i do agree with you for the most part when they're you know when they're rocking just to sound like a 50 year old for a second when they're actually rocking out <laughs> getting your own show on sirius xm <laughs> total rock is what i'm going for red free deadman's rock hour <laughs> rock hour um when yeah when when they are actually like playing riffs and stuff they are okay like they're not good at all but they're all right i find them quite insipid when they go into ballad territory thankfully mm. they don't do it that much on this record they there's don't a, do they there's a song called rise above this which i really took against um really didn't enjoy that yeah, at all that. um but for the most part they do actually rock uh the entire time devil horns and all that <laughs> um and and to be fair they are perfectly capable of doing that they are yeah it's hardly a massive like recommendation but they are capable of rocking i cannot imagine a world in which you would choose to listen to this when you know that super unknown and dirt and in you like do you know what i mean yeah undertow and all these albums exist i i just can't imagine a world i mean even when you consider that Razorblade suitcase and frog stomp exist I'm not even going to go for Dirt and Super Unknown or, you know, 10 or something. I'm going to say in a, in a world where fucking like Core by the Stone Temple Pilots exists, you have no reason to be listening to this. No, absolutely no. not. I mean, you, you could be even harsher and say in a world where Cycle Fly exists. Um, you could be, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think I probably would choose Cycle Fly over this. 
Yes. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't see. I, 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 unless you missed all that stuff, which obviously you might have done, but you know, I would kind of recommend that you just go back to that stuff rather than listening to this because this is a very, very, very watered down, not particularly good version of it. But hey, as far as the records that we have listened to for this podcast i don't think it ranks anywhere near the worst of them well that's the thing is i don't actually i don't think you can call it a bad album I don't even think you can say this is a bad album i am surprised not some of the reviews bad is it i don't actually think this is bad i mean if i got given this to review for metal hammer most of the things that i would be given for metal hammer here i would go well that's bad and that's bad and you know like these are bad records mm. I would be tempted to give this for Metal Hammer with the caveat that, you know, I don't listen to this and I don't like it. But like a kind of six or a seven, even a seven. Like I don't think a seven is a ridiculous um, score for this record at all. I was going to say six, but I but I think six is actually, I think six is relatively bang on, which is not mm. a brilliant record, but it's not a terrible one either. And no. actually when, um, like I said, when they're rocking out which they are for the majority of the record they're actually not that bad at that thing you know that no jesus christ song like i said is about seven and a half minutes and it does go on a bit but i i didn't i gotta say i didn't particularly get bored listening to the record there were bits where i was like oh i don't think this is very good and it's a good it's one of the longer ones we've done certainly recently it's a good 50 minutes or so isn't it well, it's a good fifty minutes with with the uh, the two songs, the the cub, the two versions of. I mean, it's actually the standard edition. Oh yeah, standard editions, fifty minutes, and the reissues fifty eight minutes. So yeah, yeah, you're right. Actually, fifty. Um, yeah, it's fifty minutes. Yeah, I suppose it's quite long, isn't it? I'm going to yeah. confess, I uh, I didn't um, listen to the string version of Careless Whisper. I hope uh, you won't yeah. admonish me for that because I didn't think well, we haven't actually point. got to that yet. Because no. as we, this is this is not on the original version of the album. Okay, so we're saying fifty minutes. You know, no, so minutes, like twelve yeah. tracks. This basically. was this when it was reviewed and it got this score. Yes it was just the opening 12 joke the careless whispers not on it we'll get to that in a second so yes let's get to that now in fact the band's upward trajectory wasn't really halted by that any of this negative stuff at all really they won the best rock act at the mtv africa awards in 2008 and their first ever south african music award for best rock in an english language as well the same year and as i said it did go platinum in the u.s and sold a million copies so that is pretty good they toured in 2008 with the likes of listen to this renfrey flyleaf Papa Roach, Breaking Benjamin, Three Doors Down, Stained, and Skillet, um, which Christ. would make an incredible... If you were to play a game called Find the Good Song between all of that lot, <laughs> that is a long and arduous task, isn't it? Um, clue, it, it's actually Between Angels and Insects by Papa Roach. That is the only <laughs> three minutes of all of those bands' entire back catalogues that wouldn't make me want to shoot myself in the fucking head. Um awful awful you're not a fan of last resort not really no hmm. are you i think it's a great riff but not a great song it's because you like iron maiden and it sounds like because i like iron maiden it sounds like iron maiden i saw i guess so yeah yeah well it's a it's a good riff it is a good riff yeah it's all right no look i i if last resort were to come on in a club yeah and i was there I'd sort of think to myself, why am I in a club? 
<laughs> but I'd probably want to dance to it. Uh, sure. Yeah, yeah. In that, but like, would I ever put on Last Resort? Absolutely not. Between Angels life. and Insects, I think is actually a good song. It's the only Papa Roach song where I'm, I'm willing to admit that that is good. It's a very long time since I've listened to Infest, and I can't remember. It was released as a single, wasn't it? Between yeah. Angels and Insects. I mean, I'd recognise it if you put it on. But I'd Infest. That's the what's the. My name's Kobe Dick, Mister Dick. If you're nasty the opening lyric to that album a classic a classic ladies and gentlemen that is apparently. a more problematic lyric than anything on this record mm. rubbish anyway they also going out on this tour hired a second guitar- a guitarist called troy mclawhorn now that <laughs> <laughs> that is a great name troy mclawhorn he sounds like a character from arrested development <laughs> Fucking brilliant. Is that his real name? That can't be his real name. Troy McLawhorn. That's excellent. Oh, wow. I love that. Troy McLawhorn. He should be like a a, 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 a Viking lawyer. <laughs> Troy McLawhorn. <laughs> what a fucking name. It sounds like you're oh, saying it because exas- you're exasperated as an as an expression of exasperation. It's like, Troy McLaughlin. <laughs> <sighs> anyway, he was from the band, oh dear, Evanescence. Uh-oh. Wow. Don't Ooh, okay. the pot, lads. Yeah. What are you playing at? Getting an Evanescence, stealing Evanescence's guitarist. But that went down, that went down well in the Evanescence camp. Mm, yeah. Uh, in February 2009, the band released a Valentine's Day joke cover of George Michael's Careless Whisper, which we've already discussed. Oh. Uh, they said they did it as a joke for Valentine's Day, and they said they thought they'd do like an obvious kind of... <laughs> but then some people thought it was good. And those people, as I mentioned, before I'd even heard it, I admonished Amit on the Metal Hammer podcast for saying that it was good. And I'd never heard it. And all these years later, over a decade later, I finally got to hear it. And I'm going to go back and pat myself on the back from <laughs> 10 years ago and go, you were right. It is. It's fucking rubbish. It, is it was rubbish. really bad. And they re-released the album and tagged Careless Whisper and Careless Whisper with the few strings put on it were tagged onto the album. Um, but they weren't originally on the record. Now, I could probably see why this album might have been eligible for broken records with the cover attached to it. Because the cover is awful. It's really, really dire. So, you know, it might be near because the addition of that song to this album has retrospectively what's made people go, okay, well, now that's a really bad album. Because I think adding that fucking dreadful cover of Careless Whisper onto this album would have turned it from being a six to about a four for me because I would have gone, this is long and it's boring, but they're not bad. They're not actually bad. Oh, they're doing Careless Whisper. Suddenly, all of the goodwill I had to you or all of the like, I'll let that slide. I would have been like, no, I'm not letting that slide. I'm not letting that slide. Not now. Not now. Not now after you've done this. Definitely not. No, after you've gone, I'm never going to dance again. Got you fit. I got no rhythm. No she's at Jupiter. I'm lying out of here. Shut it down, but I'm not a girlfriend. Like, mate. Wow. 
awful. It yeah. is, isn't it? That's, that's the voice that they all do. Yes. Uh, it's, it's terrible. Uh, it, it is. It's rubbish. Um, I think the fact that I've heard worse covers and... Name I mean, a Jane, Renfrey, name a Jane. Well, just stuff like Godheads, Ellen and Rigby and stuff like that. That would be what, yeah, that's, as, that's probably worse. I think it's worse. You can't say stuff like that. Come on, we're better than that. You can't say stuff like that. Name and shame. Oh, Worst you want more? Oh, right. Um... Yeah, well, of course I want more. <laughs> I go, God, Ed Eleanor Rigby and stuff like that. All right. Let him Spine say, shame. Your Honour. Well, well, clearly, my... clearly, Your Honour, let, let's state for the record. He uh, he said, and stuff like that. So there is Spine more. Shank. Well, my guitar Spine shank. weeps. That's dreadful. That uh, is fucking dreadful. But that's it... such a good song. Mind you, Careless Whisper is a good song, isn't it? Yeah. Really good song. Uh, uh, yeah, eyes, okay. Spine Shank. Biscuit. That's worse, yeah. Yeah, you're doing very well, actually. So I've named three. So that, I think rule of three. three, I think, yeah, I think rule we can of move three. on. That's fine, you can. I mean, you know, I, I just thought it was another bad song tagged on to the end of it, really. It didn't It didn't feel like it dragged the album down any more or any less for me. It stayed in the same place. But um, yeah, it didn't massively offend me. I'm sort of ho-hum on the original anyway. So maybe that's something to do with it. I don't Bloody know. Hell. What an evil man. It is... <laughs> It is interesting to note, though, and I'm not, not their sure. Biggest song, is it? It's not their biggest song, no. no and no, I think no. even more interesting to note, their biggest song is from this album. Now, I don't know how many artists. I mean, ex- except for the artists that we've done in the past and Broken Records, who only have one album. I don't know if we've done anyone who, if we've done any album that has had the biggest song of their career on it but fake it which is one of i mean it's the nickelback one it's fucking annoying but like it's not a badly written song i mean it has 292 million 281,892 streams on spotify which is fucking massive like mad i i looked at the numbers for careless whisper and i just thought to myself well surely like quickly looking at it, I was like, surely this is their biggest song. Because Careless Whisper has got 92,121,850. So there's literally like, well, surely... 200 million in it, which is quite a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Even the second biggest, Broken, is over 100 million more listens. Yeah. And they've got one remedy from the album before this is 156 yeah. million place on spotify it's absolutely mad so, so careless, careless whisper is their fourth biggest song it's only fourth but you look at the shit i mean yeah it's absolutely fucking bonkers i mean it? this is clearly uh you know see there are clearly a, I, I just think they're a band who just never really got that popular in the uk but in america and maybe even in south africa i don't know i'm assuming they're huge i'm guessing they're really really big um i have no idea what kind of size venues they play in america but if seether came over here i mean let's have a look well if seether came over here a load of fucking expat americans and south and south africans would make them fill out the forum which is what tends to happen with these things because i've been to a bunch of these shows by these bands like who did i go and review three days grace was it yeah three doors down three days grace same fucking thing three days grace Annoyingly, you've hit the and uh, the nail on the head. Um, technically, the last show they played in London was actually at the O2 Arena, but um, they only played nine songs, so I'm assuming they were supporting someone. Uh, yeah. But yes, um, when was that? 
the 11th of May 2018. God, I wonder who that was with. Uh, must have been Nick. Might have been Nickelback. It was Nickelback because they did. I'm going to say they they toured with Nickelback in the US. Um, yeah, but anyway, well, yeah. Well, fucking hell. But the previous so they played year, the forum. previous year, October fifteenth, twenty seventeen, uh, they played the forum and they played fourteen songs. Um, I mean, that could have been a co-headline or something. I don't know, but yeah, full of Americans and South Africans without any question. Probably you wouldn't have been a bit of fucking English accent on the door taking your ticket and that would have been it for the rest of the night everyone else in there would have been that was, yeah me fucking reviewing three three days grace i was like the forum they're not gonna feel that no one fucking knows they are over here and i walked in and it was absolutely like you remember that was for ghost we went to see ghost at the forum we we're playing the o2 tonight a few years ago we saw ghost at the forum and it was like fucking un- but people stood on the stairs cramped up next to each other yeah. you're like oh my yeah. god this is beyond sold out yeah it was like that wow Except for me sitting in the bar on my own going, what's going on here? <laughs> um, anyway, <clears throat> anyway, if you, don't, if you think that's bad enough, right? They also covered, the same year they covered Careless Whisper, they, they covered I've Got You Under My Skin for a Frank Sinatra tribute album, The oh. Silly Bastards. I've not listened to that. No, but I. Uh, pff, yeah. Are we going to pay tribute to Frank Sinatra? Who should we get? Of oh, course, cool. get Seether on the phone. No. What sort of tribute is that? What about Seether and Westlife? Seether and Westlife would be, yeah. So, I mean, I should have listened to it to have compared the two, but but I didn't. (laughs) Um, Anyway, in 2011, the band followed this album up with the record Holding Onto Strings, Better Left to Fray, and Troy McLaughlin returned to his mothership and went back to Evanescence. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Sean um, I've forgotten his fucking name already Sean what's his Uh, fucking name Sean Morgan Morgan. Sean Morgan uh, said maybe Amy Lee needed him more than I did so in some sort of cosmic way that they're reconnected and he's back in the band good luck to both of them he said I'm sure in not a bitchy way at all Uh, they have released three more albums since then I've not heard a note from any of those albums don't care we'll never listen to them do not care. Um, we're going to rank this, Renfrey. But before we do, I'm going to say one thing is what I will say about this. I found a quick little clip when I was re- researching this from an interview with Sean Morgan in 2011. And he's talking about how hard his life was around the time that this album was coming out. Um, how the band would turn up to their hotel when they were touring in the place and he would check in and kids would see him in the hotel and they would then go up to the front of the hotel and they would blast that song uh call me when you're sober by evanescence at full volume in their car outside of his hotel room and how people would talk to him about it and how it's the only thing that for a long time interviewers wanted to talk about and he says he's never really responded to her in a negative way he said you know uh he said that he loved her. He said, I loved her and I loved being in a relationship with her. He's like, I miss her being my friend. And maybe you look at that and you go, that to me maybe sounds like someone who probably was in the wrong at the time and probably knows they fucked up. But he went to rehab, you know, he went to rehab a year later. Hopefully he got himself sorted out. We don't know. Whereas I saw an interview with her, I asked him about the song and her and whoever it was, the guitarist from Evanescence, presumably, I don't know who the guy was who was sat next to him. Um, they just kind of smirked through it all, being like, oh, that guy's a, yeah, that song, that's about this fucking absolute dick. And um, at the end of this interview, uh, the, the, the two of them smirk through, the guitarist guy goes, and she never has got the call either. And they both kind of crack up laughing. 
as if that's proof that he sort of that he never got sober do you know what i mean i thought it was quite a mean thing to do when they know he's been through rehab so i do actually feel from the little bit that i've read i do actually feel a little bit sorry for sean morgan and the shit that he had to go through it's obviously quite a negatively affected him but it hasn't really negatively affected amy lee and like i say maybe he knows he's been in the wrong throughout this whole thing but when i look back at this time and it doesn't make the album any better i don't really think it plays into this album at all but it's interesting that this album is here and maybe it's got some that's maybe the elevated profile that the band had for that few minutes from being you know the band snubbed by evanescence is what meant that outlets like q who probably wouldn't really give a fuck about the band usually Mm decided to listen more intently and then decided to give it a kick in mm. hence why it's here um i thought it might be because it was really bad i thought it might be because it was kind of horrible misogynistic or like a lot of these records are i thought it might be because people were like how dare you cover george michael turns out really it's kind of none of those things mm. so i don't really have anything particularly negative to say really about see that other than they're kind of a bit boring and a little bit unlucky to be here at all really i to be honest with you i completely agree um i feel like you know a score of 39 on metacritic i think it's only based on five reviews and like you know only one of them is considered a positive review but um you know i think this album deserves more than that not loads more but you know it's not a disaster this record at all and what you're saying about Sean Morgan, I mean, he does, he comes across all right. Like, there's a lot of people in these kind of bands, Aaron Lewis, Chad Kroger, et cetera, et cetera, who do not come across particularly as decent, nice people. Yeah, you got, you can, you could, I mean, literally all of them. Scott Stapp, we've spoken about before. Wes Scantlin, we've spoken about before. Come across what a prick he was, yeah. an absolute prick. You know, we, we, um, we've spoken about, theory of a dead man and what a prick he comes across as we've spoken about kid rock and what a dick he is we've spoken about uncle cracker and what a dick he is tommy lee and what a dick he is the members of motley crew and what dicks they are and he seems to be almost unique in that position that he's come out of this podcast better i got i I like him more now than i did before all i knew was like are you covered careless whisper and it was rubbish and some bloke at sonosphere likes you and he was annoying that's all i got you're probably awful. Actually, he's not. That hasn't struck me until now, but yes, he is one of the few figures who I have come out of this process having more... I mean, I don't... Respect feels a little too OTT, but more time for than than before. Um, you know, even though I have no real interest in his music, but he seems like a perfectly... I imagine decent enough bloke I have no idea yeah I've listened to a bunch of interviews by him and you know occasionally you can tell he's a bit frustrated by the whole thing but he's never he's always quite calm and collected and you know like maybe he was a fucking nightmare in 2004 2005 when his band were becoming massive and he was a you know a raging alcoholic yeah like maybe 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 if he had to go to rehab and then then possibly well, quite quite probably and you and it's somebody else's prerogative if they choose to you know uh, we don't know what happened but if someone says like you did that and i don't care that it was down to substance abuse fuck you i don't like you like that's that's absolutely um their prerogative and that's fine you're allowed to do that of course but i don't necessarily think that in the years that have passed with him going to rehab and 
etc etc that we really should have any particularly negative feelings towards the dude so i think this is as simple a placing as we've had for a very very long time there is really only one place that i can see it going because i'm not that keen on the album but it's certainly better than most stuff naomi campbell's baby woman is one of the few albums that i kind of actually like here on this podcast below it is neon twang by the twang which is not anywhere near as bad as i expected it to be but it also had a few things on it which were pretty hilarious and pretty fucking rubbish um everything the gap between those two things i think is filled in very very comfortably here by this seether album this is not as bad as neon twang by the twang but i don't actually like it like i kind of do like baby woman i think that's a very good place actually i was actually going to propose i was going to start looking after bush black and white rainbows because i thought bush is a you know there's a there's a through line there um and i actually whilst yep. i prefer bush to see that i do actually think black and white rainbows is a more boring record than this is i do and and the, and the bar is considerably higher for a band like bush as well yes true and the effect it had on bush's career was quite negative as well yeah but i think um i think you've actually kind of nailed that on the head actually that would be number 66 um which actually does feel pretty apt to me i think that works quite well yeah i'm happy with that so um in it goes i wish it didn't have such a long name i know because it's making me write it in i normally write this in really quickly as you surmise it and then <laughs> i'm like oh and now i've picked something up but because i've got to write finding beauty in negative spaces <laughs> one-handed it's taking me fucking ages i've put spices as well like a fucking idiot <laughs> that Emma finding, finding beauty in negative spices <laughs> yeah that's the uh what is good about Victoria Beckham? I have next week's album in my hand. I haven't seen it yet. Okay. Let's have a little look. Oh, my fucking God. It is a big one. Oh, Lordy Lord. This is going to be something, Renfrey. Paula by Robin Thicke. Oh, wow. The follow-up record to the record that Robin Thicke did, which I was out the other day. And they, DJ played Blurred Lines. Just played it and people were dancing to it. And I was like, we still, you still listen to this. You're all right listening to this song. Right? You're going to listen to Blurred Lines. You're just going to listen to Blurred Lines, are you? You're just going <laughs> to listen to Blurred Lines and dance to it like the whole of society hasn't just gone, nah, fuck off, mate. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it was mad. Interesting. It was mad. There you go. That's what I say. You know, it was that song's been cancelled on social media in the real world. Two hundred people, yeah. <laughs> you know you wanted awful. I was like, uh? Uh, anyway. Interesting to note as well. I mean, I don't know if listeners are interested in this or not, but we are now down to just three full A4 pages of suggestions for broken records. So, yay! Great. So suggest some more. Uh, I mean, I think we still got we still got, got a lot. You know, got almost a hundred. But yeah, yeah, we'll be here for a little while yet. We'll Don't you worry about that. We'll be here for a while. We'll be back next week with Robin Thicke. That is big. Yeah. Don't miss that because that is going to be fucking. I've heard that album before or bits of that album before. It is a fucking 
disaster. So I'm really looking forward to shitting on Robin Thicke, the fucking Yeah, 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 yeah. More than happy to shit on Robin Thicke. (laughs) We'll see you next week, guys. Thank you very much. See you soon.